You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Everybody, this is Dirk Novell. Uh, Welcome to my podcast. On with me today is Michael Spencer. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dirk. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And by the way, it's Michael's birthday, so happy birthday. Thank you to that as well. Um, So Michael is not someone I've known. I mean, I just got to know Michael through another friend of mine, but Michael is a sports agent and I'm a fanatical sports fan. So this is exciting for me to have you on. Why don't we just get right to it and maybe just tell the audience a little bit about in your own words, what it is you do, and then we'll kind of just get into how you got into it and go from there. Yeah, no problem. Um, what do I do? Um, it's the, the, the million dollar question. Um, it's a lot of everything, but you know, the impetus of what I do as a sports agent, most people think of Jerry Maguire doing league deals and things like that. I, I do the marketing and the endorsement contracts. So when you see an athlete with Red Bull, on their hat or doing an endorsement deal for Toyota or Target or something like that. Those are the, those are the things that I do for athletes. I get them those endorsement deals and primarily because I work in Olympic and action sports. So 99% of all of their income is through endorsements. You know, U.S. skiers, skiers on the U.S. ski and snowboard team only make money through their endorsements. The U.S. Ski and Snowboard team funds their program, so pays for coaching and travel and things like that, but does not pay them a, a stipend every month or a salary or anything. So in order for them to actually have living expenses, they need to have sponsorships. So that's interesting. I didn't even think, I was thinking sports agent, you have athletes and then they sign contracts, but some athletes don't have contracts like that, right? So is this is this a type of sports agent you've been from day one or did it kind of morph into this? No, this is what I've been doing from day one. I mean, with my background as a mogul skier myself many, many years ago, I knew this side of business. And at the time when I was getting into it, action sports were taking off. You know, X Games was really becoming a thing and all of that. So the timing for me was just perfect to enter into this side of the business. I didn't really have much interest in NFL, NBA. You know, I knew that would have been a grind because it's not, you know, I didn't know any players. I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I didn't play college football or anything like that, which would have always helped, you know, to establish those relationships. But I had relationships in skiing and snow sports. And so that's kind of how it started. And then from there, I've grown, you know, my, you know, I do things summer, winter, you know, surfing, skiing, motorsports. Um, currently have a 17-year-old girl who um, is going to be signing with a Formula One team on their development program for the next three years. So it's been so it's an interesting mix of what I have. And I really enjoy this side of it because it's so much more relationship-based with brands and athletes and everything else. It's almost like I'm a a you know, I, I really am doing business development on a regular basis. And every time I sign a, a new athlete, it's like I'm in startup phase again, you know, so if, if people think of it that way. So a new athlete is my, you know, is my new business and we're in, you know, we're in incubation stage. 
in terms of building their brand, finding the right partners as they build and then building from there, right? So you're taking this, you know, the small entity and trying to create a, a large global brand, if you would. So is your audience like younger athletes then? Are you going, I mean, is that kind of your niche, like the 15, 16, 17 year old mogul skiers or motocross guys? Yeah, typically just because of the sports I do, they are younger athletes, you know. Um, I have, I've signed a nine-year-old girl once before. So, you know, because these are protégés, protégés in their respective sports, and sometimes you just get them that young. I would say typically they are teenagers. Um, some have been more older than teenagers. Sometimes you end up, you know, I've I've been around now long enough that I have athletes that you know, are well-established in their careers, but for whatever reason, they've decided they need a change. And so they'll come to me, um, you know, so I'll have, I'll have a more established athlete. For me, it's a little bit more fun when you get them in the beginning, because you really get to build something. When someone comes to you a little more established, then I have to learn their characteristics, their what makes them tick and everything like as an athlete, I know, but as a human, you don't, and they're so set and that's how they've been building their brand awareness and everything else. So, you know, I have to tap into that a little bit more and it becomes a little bit different. Um, it's still great. I mean, it's not, you know, um, I, I enjoy it all the way around. Cause sometimes, you know, like I currently have a snowboarder who is 37 years old. Um, he's retired, but he's, um, you know, he's pretty famous. <laughs> Um, and Sean White is who it is. And so it's really fun still doing things with him, right? Because now you're on this back, you know, people that say the back end of his career, but, you know, in all honesty, and I had it before he retired, but we were, but when I got, when I signed with him or he signed with me, it was the ability to be like, okay, we know you're at the end of your com competition career, but like, there is a little bit of a new beginning of what's next because I mean, he's, he's the goat, you know, yeah. and he transcends snowboarding. I mean, he walks down the street and people know who he is. You know, he's one of the few, if not the only snowboarder that people would be like, oh, Sean White. And they expect to see him, you know, and all those kind of things. So, but that's been fun because this transition of what he's doing now and, you know, helping him on the back end build his own snowboard brand and creating the partnerships that kind of are a little bit more sophisticated because he's older and everything, but still relate to him as being, you know, an action sports legend and those kind of things. It's that's, that's been a fun dynamic too. But again, it's still, you know, it's like, it's a, it's business development is, is what I do. You know, some I was on a phone call yesterday with another agent and, and she does different kind of work. She's more on the talent side, but she's like, yeah, I do sales. And then she's explaining it. And I'm like, let me just, do you mind if I correct you a little bit? You don't do sales. You, you just describe business development. You're full circle. And that's, and so I, I would really appreciate that. You know, some, some agents are, do, they're just sell, they sells guys, you know, and they just sell to find the money for the athlete and kind of, you know, and then it's hands off. Um, I don't want to say a lot are, but I think there are a few out there that do that. Whereas the ones that really care kind of service 360 degrees. So I'm curious, I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking about, you know, your, your target audience or your niche. I would imagine that you're not only talking to the athletes, but you're probably having to deal with their families as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyone under 18, you're for sure talking to mom and dad all the time. 
And that's a big deal, you know, like it's a big deal for me that mom and dad feel secure and safe enough that, you know, they're, they're putting the career of their kids' hands um, in my hands, you know? And so there, there's definitely a lot of back and forth and, and especially in the beginning, um, some parents definitely like to stay more involved than others. Um, you know, the, the most interesting one for me though, was I signed a, a kid at 15 and this is, this was a kid named Simon Dumont and he's a skier and one of the most famous half pipe skiers and, you know, ever, I mean, he's a legend. I mean, half pipe skiing was really where it is today and what's going on because of him and Tanner Hall would be the other one. They had a rivalry. They were above everyone else and all those things. And so um, I signed Simon when he was 15 and, and his dad, his dad drilled me, you know, my son's 15 and everything else. And he drilled me for about six months. And, um, and then sudden once all that was over, his dad was like, hands off. I didn't talk to his dad for a couple of years. And then we finally met and his dad and I have a great relationship. It's awesome. But it was, so it was just a weird dynamic that I was, you know, grilled and grilled and grilled. But as soon as they felt safe, boom. And, and Simon and I, I mean, again, it, it was a really early period in my career. And what I love about that time with Simon was that we were trajectorying on the same path. Like we really, like my business was created by him and and he was created by me, you know, like there was just so many synergies going on. Like he was doing so well and he forced me to do better in my job, which then forced him to do better because he could see what I could do every time, you know, and like we just had this, I mean, amazing time for, gosh, I mean, well over a decade, you know, until he finally retired. Um and so that was, you know, and that's where I really, you know, in, in the thick of it, realized like this is why I love my job is because I'm giving, you know, I'm giving these kids opportunity um, in ways that they never would have had before, you know, and and they're doing the same for me. So it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. And then, you know, and then there's other athletes where you know even and it's time and then other things have happened like you know, you, I really have started to realize not only am I helping these athletes and do their, do those things that they're doing, but you're helping them create a platform for change, you know, and there's athletes out there that can have a really big impact, um, in our culture today. And I'm very grateful that I've been able to be a part of some of those. And that's where like the true, like, this is why I do my job comes out. Like, it's pretty amazing when you get those those instances that are rare, but you have that athlete just that has that thing or is doing something that is going to shake up the world culturally. And it has nothing to do with sport. Those are pretty, pretty impactful moments. Yeah. I'm just, I'm listening and I'm thinking about the uniqueness of like for me on this podcast, I'm trying to reach young people who maybe don't think about a career in terms of what they're naturally gifted to do or what lights them up or what makes them happy uh, because they're maybe thinking about money. You know, you went to law school. A lot of parents probably want their kids to go to law school or be a doctor. You're dealing with these young athletes that are still young and they don't really know life yet. Like that's gotta be a challenge a little bit because versus dealing with say a, a NFL player that knows football is his life. You're dealing maybe with a 14, 15 year old kid who's just still trying to figure life out. Um, so you're kind of like a part-time psychologist almost. Yeah, and there's there's some therapy that goes along with it. It's almost like you become a surrogate parent at times too, you know, when they're that young. 
you know, because parents can't always be around. You're at an event, the parents aren't there. The parents are there, but they don't understand the intricacies of the sport as much. And, you know, so you're kind of like this, you know, you play a bunch of different roles sometimes when you really get ingrained with these kids like that. So it's it's very unique and, and you're, you know, you're picking them up when they're down and all those things. But the one thing that I will say, it's that is different about these kids when they are 15, 16 years old and winning world cups and winning X games and winning the Olympics, you know, like when they have that in them, they're already different than the rest of the kids their age. Right. And it's, and it's really boiled. And so you even have to treat them differently because when they have that it thing, they're sacrificing so much as a teenager that no one really understands that. But when you can really grasp, you know, people go, Oh, what's their problem? They're 16 years old. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars and traveling around the world and they don't have to go to school. It's like, that's, that's the Instagram version of it. You know, like, you know, those are the photos they post up on Instagram and the, and the spaces in between it's a grind. They're not going to school dances. They, you know, are going to bed way earlier than normal. Like they get up early. They, you know, they're doing a lot of good things, but they're not able to be a normal teenager because they're so focused. It also makes them a little bit selfish, but there's not a, a successful athlete. I don't care, you know, who you talk about, whether it's Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Peyton Manning, whatever, when they're in their, when they're at the top of their game, they, they have to have a little bit of blinders and, and get self-absorbed in order to be the best. And they don't put up with crap. If you're not if you're not delivering for them, you know, whether you're a teammate or whoever, they don't want to put up with it because they're like, I am putting everything out here. So I expect that too. And some people are like, oh, you know, I, I really don't like it when people say, oh, you're a glorified babysitter. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Because they think that athletes are spoiled brats. I'm like, the reason why you're not good at what you do is because you don't have, as an adult, what this 16 year old kid has in them to be successful, you know? Yeah. I would, I wouldn't mind going deeper on that. Like what, where do you think that comes from? I know it's a unique trait, like the, the grit, the, the drive, the fire. Uh, I mean, have you ever kind of taken inventory and try to figure out like what creates that or how, how do kids, um, I mean, that, that, that's, that's hard. You know, I've coached all my kids in sports and you see the fire in some kids' eyes, but it's rare. Where do you think that comes from? Honestly, I think it's innate. I think it comes from within, um, you know, just even when I look back, you know, in hindsight with me as a mobile skier and, and the guys who I skied with that made the Olympics and, you know, where I made it was, you know, like they just had it, you know, at the time I was like, I'm working just as hard and everything else. I wasn't. Now that I look back, it's like I didn't have that ability to sacrifice the way they did. And what's interesting, you know, I mean, this brings up, you know, this could bring up a big subject about parents' roles, right? And and I find it interesting. I, you know, even here in this town of Park City, you know, people have reached out to me and like, what should I do with my kid? He's 12. And I think he's so good at hockey and we're just going to focus on hockey and everything else. I'm like, he's 12. Well, his coaches say this. I'm like, no, you need your kids to do whatever they want. And the, and there's been a study now. There's a book called The Range, which I think is the author's David Epstein. I think that's his who wrote it. He also wrote a book called The Sports Gene. But in it, he talks about like Roger Federer and his success. And it proves that like multiple participation in different sports and letting the athlete choose their path 
And they compared it to Tiger Woods in the book, right? Like, even though Tiger is so great at golf, he was so driven at golf. Like, it's brought up a lot of other behavioral patterns, right? For Tiger that is different than probably Roger, you know? So, and it talks about that in the book. And so I'm a big proponent of that as parents, you support, you encourage, you let them them do what they want. You don't be forceful. And the rest, like, if they're going to be that good, they're going to be that good. And they have it in them. And then you need to support them. Because when (laughs) kids are that good, you know, I've seen parents come down so hard on their kids when they don't do well. And I'm just like, do you realize that kid is harder on themselves than you are anyway? So now you're just doubling into that. And I've I've watched parents and kids relationships implode. I have an, I have an athlete who doesn't even talk to her father anymore at all. I mean, her father took it to a a degree. She was the most dominant in her sport. And even when she would win, he'd be like, well, I don't know. Is she really that good? It, It was, it was mind blowing where every other athlete was like, she could compete with the guys and do well. And he yeah. was just so hard on her. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, the whole thing has eroded to, you know, to like, there's a lawsuit. There's all these other things going on and it's sad. Yeah, no, I had a dad who was hardcore and kind of killed it for me. And so as a dad, like when my son is really hard on himself, I'm just like, I'm just proud of him trying, you know, like I, I've really, I don't want to be that dad um, and I see that a lot just as a coach and it really kills the spirit of a lot of young kids. It's sad to see. Um, when I'm thinking yeah. about being a sports agent, like, do you fall into something? Like if someone's like wanting to be in sports agent, do they go get their law degree, go through a sports agency and then gravitate towards a certain sector or area, or like you fell into kind of a niche, how does that process typically play out? So on the most part for all of us that are sports agents, and I would say this probably go for a big chunk of it goes for even in, you know, stick and ball sports. If you're doing the league deals and everything else, it, it's really first has to start with relationships. You know, you need to know someone or something about the sport and those kind of things to really get in. Um, it's hard for just someone out of college who wants to be a sports agent, but doesn't have any any connection of any kind to help benefit. If they're starting from ground zero, it's kind of like, oh, you, you don't, you really don't even know where to begin. So it's either, you know, you have kids coming out of college that maybe have just good relationships with athletes, you know, whether it's football players or if they, you know, they ski or, you know, if they're from a ski town and they knew all the best skiers and they're like, kind of got to know and have relationships that they could pull in and those kind of things. But I really think, you know, the law degree is very helpful, but it's it's so much a relationship-based industry that without the relationships, without developing the relationships early, it's really hard to start from scratch, you know? And it might yeah. be, I mean, for some, it might have been just a next-door neighbor that had a really good, you know, and they were like, you know, best friends growing up and, one of, and he turned pro. And so he's like, hey, keep helping me along the way. And so they learned that, you know, like... Um, going back to this kid, Simon Dumont, um, one of his best friends growing up was this kid, Jake Largess. And Jake was just, you know, hanging around all the time and would come to X Games and stuff. But really, 
always kind of there and was interested in stuff. So we first had him kind of manage Simon and like help him get around and, you know, help figure out travel. And then from there, introduce him to things and then brought him in to help run some other aspects of it to the point where then we were able to like, there was a time where Nike needed a a team manager for the ski, for their ski side of things when they were doing all the action sports. And so we got, we got Jake in there, you know? So then, then we got him, got him in that start. So he didn't become an agent, but that association being so tight with Simon growing up, got him in the door because then he, you know, he was, you know, around me and started leveraging me. And so I helped him go there. And now, you know, he's, he's in, uh, he's with a, you know, uh, an apparel brand back East in their marketing, you know, in their marketing group. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool, you know, and he could have taken it a different way. You know, he could have maybe gravitated, you know, and it just seemed like that's where he wanted to be. Otherwise, maybe he would have gravitated to me and been like, Hey man, let me help you get these other athletes. I can manage these younger kids and you can, you know, but so it's those kind of things I think where, you know, I don't really know anyone, especially in action sports, that's an agent that doesn't have some touching point to the industry in some shape or form. There's a couple of agents that were actually team managers at brands, you know, so they got actually a job at like a, a ski brand or a snowboard brand and stuff and got to know athletes in the way the industry ran that way. And then we're like, oh, I've got the, you know, some younger kids coming up and they need agents you know, so then they started having the right conversations with agencies or whoever and said, Hey, I want to be an agent. I've got these three kids who don't, have, you know, we all know are hot. Everyone wants them. They'll come with me if, you know, so it's that kind of, you know, yeah. Um, that's how I'm, it could work as well. I'm curious. What, what do you think? And I, I hope this is not an uncomfortable question. People don't like to talk about themselves, but what is it about you? You think that makes you so good at what you do? Like I can tell you're very authentic and warm and genuine and, you're not a bullshitter, like, but what are the traits that you see in, in sports agents or yourself that maybe, uh, translate to success? Jeez. It's funny. Um, you know, I'm going through a whole kind of life reevaluation even on that. And it has been kind of funny as I break myself down, I realize, you know, the, I think, you know, the, the, thing that's made me most successful is my level of care um almost to a fault i i especially early on i got too involved with the athletes on a on a one-on-one basis to where it took a lot of time time from me you know because i cared so much um i've learned how to balance that better um i still care i think i get a little bit deeper i don't it's funny because i see some agents and they're like really good friends with their athletes you know, like best friends and they hang out all the time and all that stuff. And I don't have that. But what I do have is I have athletes that call on me in times of need. I have athletes that are like, dude, you've been like a father to me, you know? So I have more of that relationship. So I think part of it is because I've always seen it as like, Hey, look, I don't, you know, I have my friends, this is business. So I've started out as a, really a business relationship, but as that develops, I realize like, Hey, I can, I can help them in ways that they're not, you know, they're not being, you know, what's the, you know, not that their parents aren't helping them too. I can see things in a different light that I can help them with. And so I kind of get ingrained in in a little bit more of their livelihood and and what's next and how they can be better within their, you know, like um, 
presenting themselves to sponsors as well as presenting themselves to fans, which also leads to them just being better as people, you know? And so I kind of like that aspect. And so, yeah, so I think it's a little bit different. And I, and I'm not knocking the guys who have, you know, like um, best friends with these guys and they bro down and everything else. It's just who they are. And it, and it just wasn't in me, you know, like I, I wanted to take care of these athletes and, and do what's right by them, not be their best friend, I guess. No, I love it. So caring, but in I turn, mean, you know, what, what are the other, I mean, uh, caring is, I guess, paramount because you got to care and have the right intentions. What are some of the personality traits you have? Maybe if somebody, another agent was talking about you and why you're good at what you do, what would, how would they describe you? Jeez. Oh, I don't even know. Let's call some people and find out. No, it's funny. I, I actually had a conversation with someone recently who reached out to me and it was kind of in a, you know, I was in a little bit of a rough patch earlier this spring and um, I was telling him the things I was going through and how I'm kind of, you know, reevaluating myself. And he goes, he starts laughing. He goes, Michael, I've known you for 15 plus years. You know, he, he used to work for a brand that I, we did work together. We've stayed close, all these things. He's like, dude, I would have had no idea that you felt insecure and all these things because you've presented he's like i can only imagine what you're going to be like in the second part of you you know so it's kind of funny but i think i think with him saying that and the reason why i bring that up is because i guess what i realize is that i have always been pretty like upfront and honest you know within the business i've always wanted what's best for my athletes i mean i fight for them i mean i I, you know, sometimes, you know, like, and even this guy, he's like, dude, there are times when you and I, like, you would come after me and he's like, but I got it. He's like, that's why I'm friends. Like, I, I admire the fact that you were so adamant of protecting and doing what's best for your athletes <laughs> that you never stood down. You never gave in, you know, to those things. And so I think my, my value of, you know, being very um, loyal to my athletes is, is a, a big plus. Um you know, and I, I think for me, the one thing that I really like to say is to my athletes too. It's like, I'm negotiating the best for them. Doesn't always mean we're negotiating the biggest and best deal there's ever been. I mean, I've been fortunate to be on that side in certain sports where I've done some pretty amazing things financially, but realistically, it's like, what's best for this athlete, right? Because every athlete's different. So I could be talking to the same brand about two different athletes and let's just say they're equal they both have won olympic medals whatever da, da, da. If they're equal in all in in equal in their social media game and everything else i still might be and talking to one brand i'm probably negotiating two different deals still, right because i know what athlete a wants and i know what athlete b wants and they're not always the same and so i'm trying to get what they want not necessarily just you know, of course, yes, we want to get them paid the most and everything else. But if they're, if an, you know, some athletes are big in wanting to create content, have a YouTube channel and stuff, because they see that as an investment and can monetize that, right? So athlete A might be like, look, get me X, but get me Y for my content budget, you know, like, because we can, because then if I get all that content budget, I can make the best YouTube channel there is and we'll monetize that. And so I'll just make more money. You know, and it'll help with getting other brands and everything else. So we'll go that way. This other athlete might be like, 
hey, I I just need to go win. And they're more driven by results and all that. So then I'm going to push the push the base salary up and create a bunch of bonuses and have no content budget, you know? So again, like, and that's just kind of a very wide example. There's other times where it's like gets even more detailed about the do's and don'ts and all those things. So even writing the contract and reviewing the contract, sometimes there's a different give and take on both sides with the, with the brands, you know, like, Hey, look, we can't do this with athlete A, but athlete B will do it. You know? Yeah. So with the brands, I mean, is it, you reach a point to where they can only spend money on so many athletes. So ABC brand, like will sponsor five athletes and then they're done. I mean, do you run out of brands? No, you definitely don't. You, I mean, I mean, there's plenty of brands out there that you're just always pitching, especially when you start looking in the non-endemic world, which means out of industry. So like, you know, if you're a snowboarder, you have your endemic deals with your snowboard, your gear, your goggles, your helmet. Um, but then you go, and then from there, it's all non-endemic, whether it's the energy drink brands all the way to the targets and the Procter and Gambles of the world and all of those kind of things. And, and more so today than ever, you're seeing like smaller brands pop up still. They don't have as much money, but sometimes there's a good fit. Maybe there's equity. There's so many different opportunities out there. And again, like athlete A and athlete B, even if they're the exact same in terms of like results and same sport, one might be way into fly fishing and hunting and everything on the downside on on the off days and the other guy is a big road biker like you know like watches the tour de france so the brands you're you're going to between those two guys or girls you're you're pitching them to different brands even you know like the guy who's the big cyclist all right so what's the cycling demographic and who are those sponsors let's go after them and then this guy over here you know you're like Oh, let's go after Cabela's and those kind of things. So, you know, it, it, to me, it's, that's where you really dig in about who they are and those kind of things. Now going after those brands is very difficult and sometimes it can take a long time to break into the door. Um, but that's what I like to do. You know, I like to make a difference. And so even though, you know, there's been deals that have taken me two years to finally get something done, you know, but when you do it for the app, you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. No. And, and I, Apologize. I don't know if, if I'm coming through, I see a little bit of a delay on my end, but sorry about that. If it's a, if it's a little hard to hear me. Um, I would be curious kind of on the structure and the reality behind deals, like from start to finish. I mean, I guess you said some can last two years to put together some probably quicker. Is there an average type of length associated with kind of putting together a deal? No, there's really not. I mean, you kind of, you just also have to be able to align with the company's mission of a certain year, you know? So like, even though you might think you have an athlete, that's a good fit and you see what they're doing currently as a brand, you know, in their marketing materials, by the time you're pitching that deal, they're actually thinking two years down the road. And so their initiatives might change from being, Hey, we're very focused on moms to, now we need 14 year old kids, you know, like, and so that ch change, even when you're like, Hey, this athlete would be great. It's a, it's a, it's a, a female snowboarder who just had a kid and she's a mom and a professional or whatever. And then you go pitch that brand and they're like, Oh yeah, that would have been good this year, but we're actually, now we need to focus on something else. So it's even those kind of things can kind of get in the way um, or change your dynamics a little bit. 
So, you know, some of it's just staying on it, um, communicating as much as you can with the brands. Um, you know, in the beginning, it's cold calling and figuring it out. And then over time, you start to have connections and the more connections you have, you realize once you get there, you know, when you're dealing with one, you know, 10 years ago, I was talking to this guy at one brand. I still talk to him today, but he's, you know, with a different group now. So even that, like keeping those relationships really helps because you never know where someone's going to go. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, and not to get personal, but like, as far as, you know, people are trying to figure out their careers and their life work. And, you know, money is always a part of that compensation, not to ask you what you make, but like as a sports agent, is it consistent? Like you strike a deal with say Cabela's or Nike or whatever, and it's a three-year contract. Do agents typically just get a percentage of that? How, how is a sports agent compensated? Yeah, we work strictly on commission-based, um, at some of the larger agencies, so like I actually spent um, six and a half years at Wasserman, which is a large agency out of LA, and and they had acquired my little business that I had first built, um, and then since then I've kind of I've brought it all back and and went on my own again. But there I was on a salary, but your salary is based on what your commission is coming in. You know, it just creates a little more consistency in the pay, but. Um, but it's still related to, you know, you're, you're taking um, anywhere between 10 and 20% of that contract. So depending on there's different reasons why, but there's, you know, the in, certain industry standards and stuff like that, but, but yeah, it's, it's all uh, commission-based. And so, and what I like about that, especially being on my own is that I do kind of like eat what I kill, you know, like I like being rewarded for my hard work. Um, and that's just, you know, going back to like, you know, what makes people think that's just innate in me. Not everyone can do that, you know? And I, and I think that's why not, you know, like this whole thing about entrepreneurs and everything, especially a while ago, it was, you know, so popular and everyone's like, I'm an entrepreneur, but I think really in order to be an entrepreneur, you need to be able to take those risks and not everyone is, you know, some people really need to just, they need to have a job that pays them consistently. They just, work hard maybe there's a little bit of commission on the back you know bonus on the back end for you know hit you know exceeding numbers and things like that but there's still a safety net um you know you don't go out and find your health insurance and all those kind of things but um i don't mind that you know it's kind of the kind of the fight me it makes it a little bit busier but it's fun yeah i hear you what would you say like caught you off guard like if someone's listening to you right now michael and they're like man this sounds cool uh but hey, you got you got to know about this and this, just so you know. Like maybe something negative or something about the the business you don't like. I mean, because not every job is perfect and fun. Is there anything about the business that kind of drives you crazy? It never stops. It never stops. You don't have a day off. Okay. I don't think I have been on a vacation and completely checked out for days. Right. I'll try, I'll, I'll put an out of office email on and everything else, but I still find myself like, I, I can't ever get to a point where I'm like, okay, I don't have to look at emails for a week. I have to look because something might come up. I have athletes, even, even though like I'll plan my vacation six months ahead in advance, um, something always comes up and an athlete has to do something while I'm gone. And so you have to pay attention to those things. So, you know, and then, 
you know, sometimes when I'm trying to shut down at the end of the day, that's when the athletes finally are like, oh, I have some free time. Let me hit them up. So that's the one thing is you can't really escape it. You know, there is no escape. You you need to be prepared to be on 24-7. The plus side is, is I do get to make my own schedule at times. So, you know, what I what I felt guilty for in the beginning, which I don't at all anymore, is that, you know, there's some time, you know, I'm home for a couple of weeks. I'm not traveling. I can find a rhythm with work, especially in the summertime. I do this all the time. Um, just because I love to mountain bike. And I'm like, well, I live in Park City for a reason. So I got to do this. So I typically block out, you know, I make sure I usually try to do my email, all my calls and everything in the morning, keep doing emails, but make sure from like three to five, I have nothing, you know, or four to six, something to where I actually leave the office early so I can go mountain bike ride. And then I can, then I'll come back home and settle in for the evening and stuff. And then I can get back on email, but I'll make sure I can get out when I want to get out or, or in the winter time, in the middle of the week, I'd love to cross country ski and you can't like, you know, it's dark by five thirty-six, So you have to go earlier. So again, the, one of the best times is one. So I take a long lunch and I just shut myself. I just shut everything down. And, you know, people are like, Hey, can we have a call at 1.30? I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm busy that time. So I'll take that time. But then, but I make up for it on the back end, you know, like, again, like I'll be doing emails till nine o'clock at night or something like that. So I don't shut down, but at least I get, I can make my schedule to allow me to do the things that keep me, you know, excited about life in general, I guess, if, to, if that makes sense. You know, I, I definitely, I'm a busybody. I have a lot of energy. I love being active. I mean, I still ski all the time. I ride mountain bikes a ton. I used to race triathlons. Now I geek out and race a lot of dirt bikes. I race motocross and off-road, you know, so like I'm always searching for my outlet. So, I mean, so that's a give and take. I love it. Uh, are you, do you still love to bump? Uh, no, no. Um, I have, I have a total knee replacement. So that's, those are kind of off limits now. I hear you, man. Um, I mean, I'll, if they're soft, <laughs> I was just going to say, if they're soft, I'll make a few turns on them and stuff. You know, it's fun to like, because I do think mogul skiing is tough, right? Like if I want to get my feet going quick again, I'll get in the bumps, but then I'm like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I've always looked at moguls differently. Like to me, like people who don't ski, they, they're scared of moguls, but like, to me, they're always, they've been like speed bumps. Like if I need to stop on the hill, I can just kind of go into the lower part of a bump and just stop. So I've, I've always kind of like versus if it's just no bumps and it's icy and it's steep, I'd rather have bumps that I can stop at or whatever, but I still love to ski them, but I definitely ski them different. Um, let me, as we wind down again, I'm thinking about the person that's watching this, that's interested in this line of work. Is there any advice that you want to leave the audience with in terms of, do you recommend this? career like with AI and the world's changing or is is there a different direction you might push somebody towards no I wouldn't I mean if someone's really interested in this I mean again like it starts first with you know you need to build relationships figure out what sports you can build them in whether or with brands you know it's really relationship based so that's that's number one. Number two, be ready to work around the clock at times. Um, it never stops. Um, 
but one of the biggest things when I when I talk to people, whether it's about in this industry or anything else, um, you have to lead with your intuition. And I think in this business, it's even stronger to do that. Your intuition can tell you a lot. Um, some of the worst decisions I've made in my career because I overthought it had other people telling me what I should do, even though my gut was telling me something else. Um, and that, so, you know, it's kind of a life lesson, but I really, if you could really tap into your gut and trust that more than anything, you know, your gut, your soul, whatever you want to call it, then I think you're, I think you're going to be on the right path. But, um, you know, some people ask, you know, the, there's a couple of other things I always, I find funny too about it is like people are like, Oh, I'm going to go to school for sports marketing, or I'm going to go, I'm going to go to law school and study sports law. My personal opinion about that is that's a waste of time. Not the law school part, not the business school part, but the sports part. Because all sports law is, is the law, is the law with sports in front of it. It's not like there's this whole, you know, secret law of sports that no one knows about. Like I read contracts every day. If I go to the, if, if we have to go to court over the contract, it's contract law that's guiding this. Sure, there might be some cases that that are precedent around certain things around the sport, but it's still contract law, right? So, you know, you want to have more of a business acumen, you know, understanding that, understanding if you have more of a creative mind, tap into that, tap into, because content right now is so king you know and the better athletes can do with their content and create an audience that's you know that's where brands gravitate to now which is i mean it's different you know you know 15 years ago when i was in the thick of it we didn't have social media and in all honesty i loved it way more than because i was selling a story in a brand now i have to sell a famous instagram person first and then, oh yeah, they do all these things. Like brands have gotten away from the storytelling of what, who an athlete is, which to me is like the reason why at top level athletes do sell product is because deep down, most people realize like, man, not only are they amazing humans at what they do and I love rooting for their team or what they do and they're superstars, but they realize the work that they actually have to do to get there, right? They're not just a, some pretty face on Instagram holding a product saying, oh, I use this because I have 100,000 followers on Instagram. Those athletes use it because it's like, this is what makes me the best in the world. So brands are slowly getting back to that a little bit, but again, and I digress a little bit, but that's where if you're creative, you can you have to be so analytic and be law school oriented to be in this job. If you're creative, you can still make a huge impact because digital and social is such a big deal. I mean, some of the athletes in the world, you know, and even of social creators that help them create the content that they're obligated to do for their sponsors. So we're creating the best content. So the sponsors are immediately happy. They're like, oh my gosh, you're blowing it out of the water for us. It's better than we expected. As well as other brands that we're talking to, we can point to those things, go look how good he does on his social media or she does on her social media. So, you know, that's those kind of things, you know, this whole, um, I mean, I've really lived change of how this business works from pre-social to in the thick of social media. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you have to be pretty well versed. I mean, I, it's not just being an attorney, but there's so much, so many skill sets I would, I would think you'd have to have to be good at what you do. Um, if you, let's just take sports agents off the table. Is there a dream job? Like if you could do anything, like, uh, would it be like mountain bike tours or like, is there something that you would love to do in the next chapter? There's been, there's been two that always kind of keep coming up. Um, I was just telling my fiance the other day, cause she was, she's dealing with some physical pain and, and just, and some things and, um, having a PhD in sports science would have been really cool. I geek out over sports science, nutrition, geeking out how to heal the body, those things. I went super deep on that for a while, especially when I was racing triathlons. Um, because I it was all about like, yeah, I could go train, but like, how do I train smarter? How am I more efficient? And I have this body that as a mogul skier, I've destroyed my knees. Right. So I was looking for all the ways that I can try to keep myself going to do these things before I needed a knee replacement. So I really geeked out about it. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, the other thing I think that would be really cool, I guess there's two other things, but they kind of go hand in hand, but I am not a creative guy but it would have been architect or product design. Like, and I have a little bit of that in me, probably more product design because I use so many different products. I'm always like, gosh, why wouldn't they do this and do that? But I don't think I was ever creative enough to really, like, I can only do that with products that I first see. I can't create the product in my head. You know, I could probably tweak it, but so yeah, that's, those are probably the the things that I would be more, you know, I would be like, okay, if I wasn't doing this and I started over, I might gravitate to those things. Well, you're 53 today. You got plenty of time um, for for something else when this phases out. So, hey, I really look forward to meeting you. I, I've got a couple of my really close friends that live down in Park City yeah. that that you probably really get along with. Very active guys, and um, but you've been great. I, I really appreciate your time, and I know the audience will benefit much from just hearing your um, experience. Okay. Um, I would say uh, on ending, the one question I didn't ask that I'm curious is. Maybe I ask it, but I didn't ask it well. If someone's interested in going down this road, is their first step law school? No, no. Um, I think their first step is while if they can if they can do it young enough and while they're in college is developing relationships and getting jobs in the industry, right? So I think get, trying to find an internship with a you know, especially in my space where it's action sports and Olympic sports, go try to get an internship or even some kind of, you know, whatever, you know, low level job is opening with a brand that sponsors those sports that you're into. That's probably the easiest way because then you're, you're learning, you're learning the intricacies of the sport, what the brands are looking for. You'll probably end up being able to mingle with some athletes. You'll really dive in a little bit more doing it that way. You know, so that's, I mean, so again, if you don't have, you know, if your best friend isn't, you know, the best skier in the world or whatever, and, and you can't get in that way, or if you, you know, obviously if you're a former athlete of some sort, you have those, some of those connections too, but if you don't and you want to do it, yeah, go try to get an internship. If you have a, you know, if you have a local business unit at Red Bull or Burton or Volcom or whatever brand it is, you know, you can, you know, you you know, if you're into skating, you look at Nike, you know, any of those brands, you know, you figure out how can I go immerse myself? And even if it means it's a job that's kind of like, 
maybe not exactly in the marketing department or something, you can at least associate yourself. And if you're, if you, if you're, you know, motivated enough, you can, and you meet people like when you're in those doors, even if you're doing something in accounting, you're in those doors to where you can go meet everyone, you know, that you can and, and make the initiative to meet those people and start to learn it. So that's, that would be my, you know, that would be my gift um, or my suggestion. Yeah. And then if you started liking it and you felt like having a law degree is important to you, then I would say yes. But like, there's a lot of agents that aren't lawyers or have any form of law degree. And they're either in large agencies that have in-house counsel or they outsource it anyway. So that's how they do that. You know, again, it's, it's that, it's that relationship. That's building. great advice. I, you know, it's funny I, you mentioned Jerry Maguire, but that's the thing about careers is people see like a movie and they think that this is what it's like. And maybe there are some crossover similarities, but uh, I know certain careers aren't always as sexy as they might seem on TV or in the movies, but um, I do love that movie still. Yeah. It's one that I can watch over and over. It's a good one for sure. I mean, there are a few things I always love, you know, like when he's like, help me help you. I always think, you know, there's times where I'm looking at my athletes going, come on, help me here a little bit. Come on, put on a good, you know, good show today. Not on, not in terms of like competing, but it's more like when they're, you know, doing an autograph signing or something I'm like, come on, just give a little extra today so we can get this deal, you know, renewed and over the line and bigger. Like I need you to re a little extra. Yeah. I love it. Michael, thank you. And happy birthday. Um, enjoy your day. Thank you. All right. Thank Bye. you.